The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken in connection with Lord's Day 24, which speaks about our good works not being part of our righteousness before God. And so we'll be reading in connection with that from Romans 5, the verses 6 to 21, and then 6, the verses 1 to 14. The Apostle Paul here has been just proclaiming the riches of the gospel of grace, declaring that we have been justified by faith. And because we have been justified by faith, that is declared legally righteous before God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins by speaking about our inability before God and moving on from there. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gifts by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many." And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in this life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but when sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. The word of God. In that rather complex series of logical arguments that Paul is making, one after the other, there will be one in particular that we will be looking at this afternoon, which we can find summarized here in Lord's Day 24. And you'll be able to find that on page 538 of your book of praise. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this week I have a challenge for you. Ask somebody in your life, somebody who's not from the church, ask someone in your life, do you think you'll go to heaven? And if they say yes or no, ask them why. See what their answer is. Of course, you always get the types when you ask that question who will say, no, and I'm not really interested in going to heaven either. 
that's where all of the goody-two-shoes are, and I want to be partying it up in hell with all my friends. But putting those types of answers aside, recognizing that those people have no real understanding of what hell is, or what heaven is for that matter, there are quite often people who give two types of answers. Whether they realize it or not, these people who give these kinds of answers measure their righteousness before God by the amount of good things that they do in this world. And you'll find that sometimes it's not just limited to people who are outside of the church walls. If you ask those who are in church with you, friends, family, and relatives, you might find these same two answers coming forward. Our passage says in Romans 5 verse 9, having been justified, that is, having been legally declared righteous by Christ's blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Not by works, but by Christ's blood. Salvation is given to us as a free gift no strings attached. We confess this with our mouths. We confess this as we read this once again from Scripture as well. But sometimes, even in the church, our hearts take a moment to catch up with that. And this can make itself known in these two ways. First, we have those who say, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm a pretty good person. God would let me into heaven. They consider themselves to be more righteous before God because of their good works, the good things that they do. They think that they measure up to their picture of what God's standard is. And then you have those who say, I'm not a good enough person. And I don't think that God would let me into heaven, to be honest. They think that they're less righteous before God because of their lack of good works. But in both of these cases, they're measuring their righteousness by the works that they're doing. And there's a problem with this line of thinking. The problem with this thinking is that it tosses all of the responsibility of our salvation back onto ourselves. And that's a bigger burden than any human is able to bear. On the one hand, it becomes a reason for false pride and for false boasting. On the other hand, it can plunge us into a life of constant guilt, self-recrimination, and shame. But God has something much better in mind for us. Our good works are not a way to gain God's approval, he teaches us, but rather they are evidence of his grace already at work in us. And today we'll take a look at this under the following theme and points. All boasting outside, uh, aside, and we'll first of all look at the best of our good works. Second, the source of our good works. And third, the reason for our good works. 
When we start with the phrase, I'm a pretty good person, or I'm not sure I'm a good enough person, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's a reason for concern. But if we bring these words out in a conversation about whether or not we're going to heaven, we're showing that we have a deeply flawed understanding of our works. And the first problem that we run into is that when we use this kind of language, we clearly don't have an understanding of God's standard. God is a holy God. He is infinite in his perfection. So it's no surprise that his standard is perfection either, is it? And that's where we run into trouble. The Apostle Paul points that out quite clearly in our passage when he's talking about the purpose of the law. God didn't give us the law as a way that we can stand as righteous before him, Paul says. He didn't give it to us so that we can check off all of these boxes and then be good enough people. The law has one purpose, to make us uncomfortably aware of where we cross the line, to convict us. This isn't to say that man didn't cross the line before the written law was received. The law was already written on the hearts of man, but God specifically introduced the law to his people to highlight their shortcomings. The law was like a fence line with a security tower and a spotlight to shine down on those who cross it. Trespassing is already long is already wrong. But if you try to climb over a fence in the dead of night and you have the spotlight shining down from the tower above, lighting you up, you know that you've been caught doing wrong. And this is what he's saying in verse 20 when he tells us, the law entered that offense might abound. It becomes vividly clear to us that we break the law a whole lot more than we think we do when we start examining our lives by the word of God. But it's not just the bad things that we do that are highlighted so clearly. Even the things that we do from what we think are good motives are highlighted for their insufficiency when we compare them to God's word. Even the things we do that we are considered good are lit up when they're done from less than perfect motives. And that would be all of them apart from Christ. Consider that idea of the fence line and trespassing again. Someone might say, Johnny's a pretty good kid. You can see it by the fact that he takes cookies to grandma. So the fact that he trespasses a little bit when he's doing it isn't a real big deal. And you might be tempted to agree. But what about that pretty good kid who, while he's taking his cookies to grandmother, takes a bolt cutter to a chain link fence so that he can take a shortcut through the security zone of the Bruce nuclear power plant? He might be doing something good, taking cookies to grandmother. But the very fact that he's taking a bolt cutter to the fence to do so makes us painfully aware of his heart problem. The fence highlights the fact that he's trespassing all the more. 
Even if he is going to his grandmother's house, you'd have little sympathy for him when the spotlight hits him and alarms begin to go off. And he gets arrested for trespassing. This is the relation between our own good works and God's desires of us, God's standard. This is the relation between our own good works apart from God compared to the perfect standard of his word. This isn't something that's new. This is something that the people of God already recognized in the Old Testament. Isaiah 64 verse 6 The prophet Isaiah points out that our best works are of themselves, no, not after God's done with them, but of themselves, they are no more than filthy rags. But even if they were perfect, let's say theoretically we were able to have a perfect work, they wouldn't help us out at all with regards to actually earning anything with regards to actually becoming deserving of God's blessings on us. Jesus Christ himself points this out in Luke 17, verse 10, that at best, we are only servants carrying out our duty if we were to do good works perfectly. That's at best. And that's what makes the gospel so amazing. It's not a question of me being a pretty good person. It's not a question of me being a person who's not good enough. If that was the case, considering the standard of God, we would all be lost, you and me. We would all be lost. As Paul said in Romans 5 verse 12 here, death spread to all men because all sinned. But the gospel points us beyond ourselves to Christ. The gospel takes a huge burden off of our shoulders to know that Christ forgives us, that God forgives us this for the sake of Christ. We don't have this impossible bar to measure up to. Christ has already done this. All we need is faith in Christ in order to receive this free gift. And that's what Paul goes on to point out in the rest of verse 20. It says here, in 5 verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. The law was given so that a spotlight could be shone on our failing. But having done that, grace abounded all the more. Grace upon grace was poured out on us. This is a comfort, beloved. When the Word of God shines a spotlight on your need, don't cringe away from it. We can have these moments when we're reading through God's Word and we read something that's particularly convicting, we just want to shy away from it. We want to close our Bibles, put it on a shelf, and walk as far as we can in the other direction. But recognize 
what God has told us here through the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Don't cringe away from it. Rather, when you have your insufficiencies pointed out by God, remember that the point is not to have you run away back into the dark. Rather, the reason that they are exposed is so that you can submit them to Him, praying for forgiveness. And then you can see His grace towards you abounding all the more as He transforms you from the inside out. This brings us to the second point. Even in the sight of the shortcomings of the good works that we actually do, Sadly, there are still those who hang on to them as something they want to hold up before God, as something that they've done in order to gain entry into heaven. The picture that they give is this. You have the kingdom of heaven, and I am a government worker in that kingdom working on behalf of the king. I'm doing good work on behalf of the king, and so I get paid. I'm an employee of the kingdom. Anything that I get, I earned. But is that really the proper picture to have when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? Well, what does God say about our good works, about where they come from? Consider Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 with me for a moment. It's written by the same Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Romans. And it shines a clearer light on what exactly he is speaking about here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, he writes. This in itself wipes away any idea that we might have earned something, doesn't it? You see, a wage is something that you get for giving a service. A wage is something that you earn. But if you're receiving salvation as a gift, then God's pointing out that your service, God is pointing out that your service in itself was not part of that transaction. It was not you doing a job and then God giving something in return. Because remember, as we heard when we read of Paul's work in Romans 5, if that was the case, it wouldn't be a gift anymore. It would be a wage. But he says it's not a wage. It's a free gift. Consider the man who's weak in his faith, trembling at his own unworthiness of God, but taking no steps further than that. All he sees is his own unworthiness and nothing else. Such a man has not come to understand this point yet. His salvation is not a wage. It's a gift. It doesn't rely on what he has to do. It relies on God giving it freely. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. He says it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. To the person who was thinking that if he or she stood firm for so long in a difficult time, therefore God owes him or her a little something in response. To that person, God says, you're boasting in your own righteousness. You're boasting in your own righteousness if you figured that God owed you anything for all your hard work. 
then you're seeing it as something that's not a gift. But it is a gift. And God speaks of it deliberately in these terms. To take away all potential of boasting on the part of man. But then comes the question, then comes the question, why aren't my good works then something which I can hold up to God and say, I've done this, so you owe me? The fact that I stood firm in this difficult situation, why can't I hold this up and say, God, you owe me? Well, that's because God himself was the one who prepared these good works for us to do in advance in the first place. And that's the, that's the point that the Apostle Paul ends on in Ephesians 2. It says, For he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, any good works that you do are because of God himself. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. So it's no surprise that he's the source of any good that comes out of me too, isn't it? So what does this mean? When you have these times that you feel God is measuring you by your works, whether by feeling pretty good about yourself or feeling bad about yourself, you're saying that what you are doing is a payment. You're saying that if you're not doing enough, then God might take salvation back. But God says, no, salvation is my gift to you. These good works are works that God prepared in advance for you to do. Our works are God showing his goodness to the world through us. Have you ever considered that? That's a beautiful thing to consider, isn't it? Think about that for a second. Your good works are, is God showing the world his goodness through you. God is good. And he's chosen you to show the world that he is good. When we do anything good, it's not a reason for boasting. It's a reason to praise God for giving me the privilege, the amazing privilege of having him work something good in this world through me. I'm doing these things, it's true. I'm not a puppet on strings. But God was the one who opened the way for me to do this. He was the one who came and gave me the heart and the resources and the strength to do it. He took out my heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. This is what we can confess. He is the one who by his mercy has changed me into a new person in Christ and now works through me to impact this world. And this brings us into our third point, the reason for our good works. Now it's at this point that frustration sets in for some people. 
There is the person who is working hard to be good before God and then realizes that his or her good works don't actually count towards anything. You're not building up a credit score in the eyes of God. And so this this Christian asks the question, what's the point then? What's the point of good works, of me doing all these things, of me putting myself down on the line time and time again? That is a very inward focus. But this Christian would not be the first person to ask this question. There were Christian citizens of the city of Rome who received Paul's letter that had these exact same questions rise up in their hearts. What's the point? And Paul anticipates their question and their objection, and he lays it out in 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If my doing these things doesn't help my credit score before God, and if my doing bad things increases God's display of his mercy and grace towards me, then let's be cynical for a moment. Why should I do good things? Paul, let me take your argument to to its extreme conclusion. Why shouldn't I just do bad things so that God's grace flows out all the more towards me, they ask. Is this something that I should do? Certainly not, Paul says. Certainly not. We died to sin. Do you know what dying to sin means? It means that we are joined to Christ who died on the cross for our sins. It means that the old part of us was carved out because of Christ's death. It was put to death because of Christ's death. It means, as he says in verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Our righteousness came at a cost. And the righteousness that we have is the result of freedom in Christ, bought by his death. So if this is true, how could we continue in sin? Now, it's good to point out here for a moment that we're not talking first and foremost about struggling with sin and falling back here. There are times in which we are very good at beating ourselves up over the things that we are struggling with and sliding back into. Of course, these are always a reason for grief. These are always a reason for pain and for repenting and for humbling ourselves before God. But Paul here is specifically talking about those sins that we hang on to when we know better. Sins that we hang on to because we want the other person to repent first. Or because we secretly like that sin. Or because it's helpful for us. Advantageous for us to continue in it or any other reason. We see Paul's response in verse 12. Do not let Sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not let sin reign. This is what you're doing when you're holding on to those things. 
You're not recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for you, but rather you are choosing to let sin reign in you rather than fighting it. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? That's only asking this sin that I'm hanging on to. Should I let this go or can I keep on hanging on to it? Christ died. In him, you died to that sin. It would be ungrateful to continue in it. That being said, however, fear of being ungrateful is not what should motivate us today. All that it should motivate us to do is not willfully continue in a sin, not to be okay with sin. But if we turn around and let being ungrateful, fear of being ungrateful, be our primary motivator, if we let guilt be our motivator, we'll quickly find out that it's an absolutely rubbish motivator. It works for about three seconds and then leaves everyone else who's involved feeling miserable for the next three days. Guilt might help you quit something for a time, but it can never be the fuel that keeps the engine running. Husbands and wives, you hopefully know how ineffective trying to guilt trip your spouse into doing things is. Parents, hopefully you know the same with regards to your children. We know that guilt is not a good motivator. But praise God, that's not how he works in us. Yes, God makes us know our guilt. He makes us know of our sin. But he doesn't hold it against us. He uses it to show where we were. And then he reminds us where he has brought us. So, what should motivate us then? In Christ, we said last week, in Christ, I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting. That knowledge is what motivates us. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in 6 verse 14, Romans 6 verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. Really believing this to be true, Believing this to be true, that you have been set free from your sin, ends up in a life that's dominated by one word, thankfulness. If you really do have true faith, then you will be thankful. You won't even want to do those things that are sinful. And when you do end up doing those things that are sinful because you can feel your flesh that you're fighting against, when you see that desire for sin rising up, then it'll grieve you because you know how good you have it with Christ and you know that it hurts him, that he paid for that. It's not a question of guilt tripping, but it's the same kind of motivation that stirs up a child who loves and who appreciates and respects his or her parents to listen to them and not want to let them down. You don't doubt your love or think it'll lessen because of what you do wrong. But your desire not to let them down comes out of your love for them. 
and your thankfulness for them and your knowledge of their unwavering love for you. This is what keeps you following your parents, listening to your parents, seeking to please your parents. And this is what causes you to seek to please your Heavenly Father as well. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you know that you've been adopted as a child of God. You've been brought into a new life. You're secure in His love. And out of thankful love, you will strive to please Him as much as possible. And the amazing thing is that you can please Him. You might think, well, what about our good works being no more than filthy rags? Didn't you just say that? Your best works? But the same God who saves you washes you clean of sin and stain, including the guilt that comes with those less than perfect good works. And what's left is a work in which God takes pleasure. Psalm 149 verse 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Through Christ, our good works are perfected. This, of course, still means it's a gift from him and therefore no reason for us personally to to boast. But it does mean that they are a reason for him to rejoice when we respond thankfully. Again, Zephaniah 7 verse 13, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So, beloved of God, Beloved of God, you who have faith in him and who want to live for him because you love him, remember this. When I look at my works, God doesn't lead me to say, I'm a pretty good person. Nor does he lead me to say, I'm not a good enough person. Rather, he leads me to say, all boasting aside, In Christ, I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting. And in him, any good works I do is because God is good. And he's given me the opportunity to do them. And he delights in me when I do them. And so I'm going to take advantage of that. And I am going to show the world my gratitude to my God. And do them with all my heart. Amen.